I'm glad we serve a king like that together, aren't you? Man. Uh, happy Easter. I, I love Easter. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Um, you know, I remember as a kid, Easter Sunday was always kind of a crazy day. You know, we'd wake up in the morning. My brother and I would wake up early in the morning, get ready for church, you know, and throw on some new outfit that was pastel in color, right? Like, I want to say, you guys look good today. Thank you for dressing up, and you look wonderful. Give yourself a hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could say that in church. You guys look great. So you got dressed up this morning, right? I remember as a kid, we'd, we'd get ready and we'd go downstairs and on the dining room table uh, were these Easter baskets full of tons of candy. And, you know, and to a couple of little boys, we're like, we're ready to tear into this and, you know, have some delicious treats. But, uh, you know, of course it was 830 in the morning and mom and dad wouldn't let us eat the giant chocolate Easter bunny at that hour. So we had to wait till later in the day, right? But we'd all go to church and have a great time in church, good worship service, and all, all the good songs, you know, you sing, and good message, and all that good stuff. And then we'd go to my, my grandparents' house uh, for Easter dinner, and uh, we still do that today. Uh, after service is over today, my family and I were driving up to Akron and uh, spending the, uh, the afternoon with my family my, at my grandma's house. And But she always made us Easter dinner and, you know, ham and all the fixings. And my grandma, I don't know how many of you have this tradition, but when we were kids, she would hide our Easter baskets somewhere in the house. You have that tradition? I don't know if that was a family thing. or Anyway, uh, so my brother and I would come into the house and grandma would say, okay, go find your Easter baskets, you know, and we'd go running through the house and, you know, eventually we'd find the Easter baskets filled with all kinds of good candy, so tempting for two little boys that you can't eat until after Easter dinner. Like, why all this anticipation? You know, please, I want to eat my candy now. But uh, we would eat dinner, of course, and, and enjoy that as, as a family, and then finally get to tear into the uh, Easter candy. My favorite, my favorite candy is the Cadbury egg. Any fans? <laughs> I heard ew. Yeah, all right, we got a few fans. That's my favorite. I love Cadbury cream eggs. Good stuff. But anyway. Uh, Easter is just so so cool to to assemble together. Easter egg hunts. Uh, how many of you joined us yesterday for the Easter egg hunt? We had a good crowd. Yeah. How many of you volunteered? Raise your hand if you were a volunteer to help yesterday. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, yeah. Amy, uh, Amy put together a great program yesterday. We had, I don't know, maybe 100 kids or so show up uh, and, and, and go out on the lawn here in the cold and the rain. But, man, it was worth it because these kids got tons and tons of candy, 6,000, over 6,000 eggs, and uh, Chris made chili. And it was just a great day. You know, Easter's filled with all of these great uh, memories and, and times together with your family. Uh, but on that first Easter Sunday, things looked a lot different, didn't they? You know, on that first Easter Sunday, here's this room, I, I would imagine in my head, you know, here's this room filled with all the uh, disciples, these 11 guys and some of the women maybe huddled all in this room together, uh, really dejected because they had lost their leader, Jesus. He's in the grave He's dead. He's gone. And I could just imagine Peter is sitting there and uh, just kind of huddled maybe in a corner. And, and he's thinking to himself, man, I, I just, how could I have denied knowing, even having known Jesus? And maybe still hearing the echo of the rooster crowing in, 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 his, in, his, in his mind. And, and John, right? John, the one that Jesus loved was probably his favorite, right? John's sitting there, can't, you know, just saying to himself, I can't believe he's dead. My best friend is gone. 
you know, and, and maybe Thomas. We know doubting Thomas, right? Thomas is probably sitting there going, it just didn't happen, right? He's not dead. There's no way. I can't believe this happened, right? But all these guys are huddled in, in this room, and, and uh, they're just uh, unbelievable what happened Friday night. Uh, later on in the day, you've got two men walking down this road, a seven-mile road from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, and they're in disbelief as well. They can't believe that this king who rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey last Sunday, now this Sunday he's dead and gone. Unbelievable. But as the sun is, is rising in the morning there, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary... Uh, decide to sneak out of the house and go over to the tomb because they need to uh, anoint the body. They need to properly anoint Jesus' body for the burial. And so they sneak out, and of course, they're chattering on the way, and they're thinking, how in the world are we going to roll this giant stone away from the grave, you know, so we can get in there and take care of it properly, right? And as they're talking about this, they arrive at the tomb, and they realize, hey, the stone's been rolled away job done, right? So they get closer and like, well, something's not right here, right? And there's this angel and the angel tells them, hey, ladies, listen, he's not here. In fact, he's alive. He's risen from the grave. And these ladies, I just, in my mind, I think, man, they can't run fast enough. They're probably tripping over everything in the road, trying to get back to the house to tell the disciples the good news. And as soon as they hear the good news, Peter and John they jump up from wherever they are and they're like, we got to go see this for ourselves. And they make a beeline to, to the tomb and they get there and it's empty. Except for the cloth that Jesus had been wrapped in and the head covering that was folded up nice and neat in another spot. You know, they're like, he's alive. He is risen. And, and for the apostles and for the women that, that followed Jesus around and supported his ministry and, and for the whole Israelite Jewish nation and for you and for me, this changes everything. It changes everything. That's my prayer today as we uh, wrap up this Easter Sunday here in a little while. I pray that it's just not a good worship service that you came to or good music that you heard or good preaching that you enjoyed or that, you know, we just, get, you know, gathering around the Lord's table and remembering. What, I hope it's not just something good that happened today, but that you walked out of here changed because this changes everything. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, there's, there's this question that's raised. What if there is no resurrection? What if Jesus didn't come back from the grave? Now think about that. If there were no resurrection, you know, we, we wouldn't be sitting here today, right? We'd be out doing our own thing. We'd wake up every day, you know, work, eat, play, sleep you know, get fatter, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that would be our lives, just pleasing ourselves, you know, and just doing the things that we thought, oh, I'll be happy doing this, right? But what if there were no resurrection? What if there were no Easter Sunday? What if Jesus didn't come back from the dead? What if in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul, he raises the same question. What if there were no resurrection? In just a few short verses, Paul uses this little word, if, seven times to show us how significant Jesus' resurrection really is, how it really does change everything. 
All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's jump in. We're going to discover four significant reasons Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Hope you take some notes there in your bulletins. There's a sermon outline. You can fill in some blanks. If you don't have it, just follow along, right? So verses 13 and 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, our preaching is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses about God. That is if Christ hasn't risen from the grave, right? So are you catching this? Like everything that we talk about, everything we talk about in church, everything I'm preaching to you today, everything you talk about in your small groups, in your Bible studies, in your Sunday school classes, everything we sing, it's all in vain. Your translation may say that it's useless. And it's a word that means without content. You ever listen to somebody speak and you go, man, what was the point, point of that? <laughs> like there's no substance here, right? Well, that's what Paul's getting at. If Christ had not risen from the grave, then everything that we're talking about, it's empty, it's useless. It doesn't really amount to anything. It's without content. It means absolutely nothing. Now, I don't know about you. You know, I've... Spent a lot of time in my life. I decided a long time ago that I would make Jesus Christ my moral compass and I would try to better my life around Jesus and, and really get to know him because, uh, you know, he's challenged us. Be, imitate Christ, right? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so I've lived my life around this philosophy that I want to become more and more like Jesus. And so I've read the Bible, I don't know, countless times. You know, at a young age, I went off to Kentucky Christian College or university now where I studied, um, got two degrees, one in Bible, one in preaching ministry, you know, studied all these hours, four and a half years it took me to get this done, right? I, I studied the Greek and Hebrew languages. I mean, it got involved with the Greek and Hebrew languages, the original languages of the Bible, and really, you know, applied that to my life. I, you know, I did all this stuff. I, I regularly pick up other spiritual books to help me learn more about God and help me learn about the Bible and, and be able to apply these things to my life. And I've served over 25 years, almost 25 years as a minister in, in, a, in four different churches. And, and I'm doing all these things. But if Christ did not rise from the dead, what does all this matter? And you, you may be sitting there say, say, thinking the same thing. You know, I, I go to church every Sunday. I give my offerings. I uh, go to a, a small group Bible study. I, you know, I'm really plugged in with reading my Bible every day and praying to God and talking to God on a daily basis. All for what? What does this all matter if Christ did not rise from the dead? Then all this education, all this ministry, all the uh, theologians and Christian scholars and Christian universities and all these Christian authors, they amount to nothing if Christ did not rise from the grave. What's it all matter? You can string all the degrees you want after your name. You can write all the books you want. You can preach to your blue in the face. You can build the largest church in, in all of the world. You can uh, fill stadiums with thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people who need to hear the gospel. But if the tomb is empty, you're simply wasting your time. But Paul gets to verse 20 and he says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
He's been raised from the dead. So because of that, here's the first blanks you can fill in. Our preaching comes with purpose. Everything we talk about has meaning behind it, right? Our preaching comes with purpose, and, and Jesus' resurrection changes everything and gives us that purpose, not just to preach the gospel, but to live the gospel. We have meaning in our lives because Jesus rose from the grave. And I praise God for that. Now, Paul goes on. And in verse 17, we'll back up a few verses, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Ow. <laughs> that hurts, right? My faith is worthless. And we're still in our sins. Now, worthless. Maybe your translation says futile, right? But it's a word that means that which produces no results. So if Christ is still in the grave, then my faith really doesn't produce anything. It's worthless. It's dead pretty much, right? And think about this. It's a promise that doesn't have any fulfillment. It's a trip that has no destination. It's a story that has no end. It's a seed that produces no crop. It's a dream that never comes true. It's a game that has no winners, and it's a company that has no product to sell. It's futile. It's empty. It's worthless. It produces no results. If Jesus' body remains in the tomb and his spirit remains in the grave, then the devil wins. Jesus loses his battle. And that means our sins still separate us from the Lord, as Paul said. And nothing you can do can make you right with God, right? You can't, you can't do enough acts of service. You can't write a big enough check. You can't do anything. If Jesus is still in the grave, there is nothing you can do to make your relationship right with God. He will not forgive you of your sins. And some of you this morning when you came in, maybe you're feeling like that. You know, you came in and you thought, boy, I hope the, I hope the walls don't come crashing down because I'm in church today, <laughs> you know. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know, uh, there, I, there's no way God could ever forgive me for the things I've done. I've had people tell me that. I can't go to church. God will never let me in. Jeremy, you don't know what I've done, man. I, I've done some pretty bad stuff in my life. There's no way God could ever forgive me. And if Jesus Christ is still in the tomb today, guess what? You're right. You can't do anything enough for God to forgive you. But as it is, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead. And because of that, our faith comes with forgiveness. It comes with forgiveness, right? Because Jesus rose from the dead, God makes us good enough. The walls don't come crashing down. He forgives us of our sins because we put our faith in God, right? There's no sin. Listen, folks, there is no sin too big that God can't forgive. Yeah. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans, he says, man, the more you keep on sinning, the more grace God is able to dole out onto us. Now, that doesn't give us a license to keep going out and sinning to get more grace, right? <laughs> you don't keep doing bad things to get good stuff. And that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 6 of Romans. But uh, this morning, I, I want to make sure you understand the answer to the question, can God really forgive me? And the answer is a resounding, yes, he can. He can forgive you. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you've been immersed with Jesus Christ, he forgives you. 
Your sins are forgiven because Jesus Christ is risen. Now, look at verse 18. Paul continues, he says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then verse 18, those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. Now listen, he's not talking about those of you who fall asleep while I'm preaching up here in Christ, okay? No, he's talking about those who have died, those who who gave their lives to Jesus Christ throughout all of history, those who gave their lives to Jesus Christ and have died. But I love that Paul uses this phrase, fall asleep. Because when you go to bed at night and you fall asleep, you expect, you know, you're going to get some much-needed rest from your day of work, and you're going to get maybe have some pleasant dreams, hopefully, but you really expect what? Yeah, you're going to wake up the next morning, right? That's hopefully what's going to happen. We all expect that we're going to wake up the next morning. The Christian life is no different. We expect that when we die, when we fall asleep in Christ, as Paul says, we are going to wake up in the presence of Jesus Christ because Christ rose from the dead. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then Paul says, we Christians will perish. And this is a word that means to be utterly destroyed, to be demolished, to be forgotten about. We perish. But Paul says, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has risen indeed. Therefore, write this in your notes, our death comes with deliverance. We are delivered in death. There is healing in death. There is total restoration in death. We are delivered in death. Sue Clevenger has been delivered. Jay Vanscoy has been delivered. Janice James has been delivered. Lance Weathy has been delivered. Your loved one who was in Christ, who died in Christ, has been delivered. Will we ever see them again? Are you sure? Because Paul says, man, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then death wins. Death wins. If Christ is still in the tomb, there's no hope for anyone. If this life is all there is, then those who are dead will stay dead forever. They actually perish, Paul says. But because Jesus rose from the dead, Jay Vanscoy has risen from the dead. Sue Clevenger is risen from the dead. Janice and Lance and all of those who have died before us in Christ, they have risen from the dead. They are delivered from the dead. And you and I one day will be delivered from the dead. In this chapter later on, you know, Paul writes... Uh, some very profound things about the death experience. And I love what he says because it gives us hope, right? He says in verse 51, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we we all will be what? Isn't that a great word? Like we're going to be changed. You know, some of we have like aches and pains in this room and knee surgeries scheduled and and, cancer and all that. We're going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, without cancer, without pains, without aches, without knee surgeries, without whatever. We'll be incorruptible, we'll be changed, for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. You want to live forever? You better get right with Christ today. (laughs) 
When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Look at this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But let's say this together. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory, folks. That's what we sang about, right? Amen. We will be delivered out of death. Let's look at this last one. Paul writes in verse 19, he says, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, man, we should be pitied more than anyone because we've given our lives to this, right? If Christ is not raised, we're just fooling ourselves. If Christ is still in the grave, man, we're, we're, Carl Sagan's right. Remember Carl Sagan from the 60s and 70s, atheist? He said, man, we're just star stuff. <laughs> we're just little stuff floating around in the universe, right? If there's no foundation to our faith, then we're just self-deluded fools. If Christ is not raised, then we have no message to preach, no God that hears our prayers, no salvation to carry us to our eternal home in heaven. If Christ is still dead, then I say, let's bring our missionaries home. Let's close the church and sell the property and let's stop fooling ourselves and let's stop this religious uh, charade. If Christ is not dead, man, I I don't know about you. I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and learn that I've preached something that wasn't true. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, man, I fooled everybody else too. If Christ is still in the grave, then we deserve the pity of thoughtful men and women of this universe and this world because we've believed a lie. But verse 20, Paul says, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has risen indeed. And that means our service comes with significance. There's meaning behind what we do for Jesus Christ. I love the the last verse of this chapter. Um, Paul addresses this. He says in verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he says, man, be steadfast. Don't let anything waver you from this path. Be immovable. Don't let Satan get you down. And he says, be excelling in everything you do. Keep on working for the Lord. Why? Because your labor in the Lord's work is not in vain. It means something. There is significance. Even if you do the smallest task in ministry, you're serving your community, man, keep doing it because it means something. So because Jesus rose from the dead, this changes everything. We have these four things at work in our lives. And because Jesus rose from the dead, all God's children will rise from the dead too. Immortal, incorruptible, perfect, complete, and glorified. We'll be free from sickness, free from defects, uh, supernaturally restored in the image of Jesus Christ. We'll have healthy bodies, clear minds, undivided hearts. We'll be in the company of all the saints who have gone before us in a multitude that no one can number. We'll gather around the throne and rejoice and laugh and sing. We'll know each other more deeply. We'll love each other more completely. And we'll be more than we've ever been. And we'll amount to what we've always wanted to be and then some. 
we'll finally see our loved ones who have gone before us and we'll get to sit around and talk with Adam and Eve and Moses and Peter and Andrew and James and John and Mary and Martha and all these wonderful people who live for the Lord. This is our hope. This is our faith. And this is our confidence. We will marvel at God's grace forever and we will bow before Jesus and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we live for. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, Jesus came back from the dead, and he will never die again, right? He was taken to heaven, and he is now alive, sitting at the right hand of God, and he will live and reign forever. And one day, he will return to earth to take us to be home with him. Yeah. Folks, Easter Sunday changes everything. Let it change you today, please. Let it change you today. Let it work in your heart. Let God's spirit work in your life. Let it permeate everything you do. Let it make a difference in your life at home, at work, everywhere you go, and make an impact on this world for Jesus Christ. Father, that's our prayer this morning, that we can live for you, that we can learn what that looks like. Uh, we know because Christ rose from the dead, we have this hope of eternal life in heaven with you. Man, we look forward to that day. So for now, let us be inspired to leave this place, uh, to go out into this world and actually live for you. Let Easter Sunday make a difference and, and make a change in our lives today, starting here and now, Lord. We plant our feet in the ground and say and declare to you, I'm going to live for you. Change our hearts. Let us become more like you more and more every single day. Thank you for sending your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.